So I'm really happy to sit down today with Alexis Juneja. She's the head of people and culture at Vox Media, and I think we're going to have a great conversation. So Alexis, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Dan. Look forward to it. So you are the VP of people and culture at Vox. Tell us, what is that role? It sounds like HR, but other things too. So flesh that out. Sure. So uh, I run people and culture, as you said, for Vox Media. For us today, that means I oversee people operations, which is um, what most people might think of as HR, but we can talk about that, and office operations and real estate uh, combined. Um, That's where it is today. At earlier iterations, we also included IT. It's all the things in which might enable our uh, employees and community to um, do great work here. Awesome. So we're going to talk a whole lot about that. But first, I want to uh, rewind maybe 13 years. because <laughs> the, the journey for, uh, of getting here yeah. started at least then with the founding of Curved. Um, so uh, take us back. Um, tell us about uh, uh, getting that started and what, what Curved is. <laughs> sure, sure. So uh, in 2004, Lockhart Steele and I uh, started um, what then we called an aggressive hobby. Um, it was our site for uh, Curved New York. It started on a drive to the Hamptons in the spring of 2004, and I could talk about that. Um, That became uh, curved uh, our our company, which we ultimately ended up publishing three brands, Curved, which is about real estate uh, and and news, um, and real estate neighborhood news, Eater, um, restaurants and dining, and Racked, which is shopping and style. So it was an aggressive hobby. How long was an aggressive hobby? And then at what point did it transition for you uh, into something full-time? Sure. So for Locke and I together and a few other people that got started with us, um, it was, I'd say, an aggressive hobby from 2004. Um, We we incorporated in early 2005 and sold our first ad and uh, started to raise uh, money in 2007. At that time, a few folks went full-time. I did not. I stayed with my day job, which was investing. And I went full-time in 2010. So it's almost six years of aggressive hobby for you. <laughs> yes. And and so NextGen started in a very similar way. Uh-huh. I, I didn't have the language of aggressive hobby. but yeah. uh, Now was, we refer to them as side hustles, but it wasn't really the thing back then. <laughs> well, uh, that, that's yet, yet another phrase for it that I, that I couldn't, <laughs> in theory, apply to it. So do you think that was uh, a blessing? Uh, was it helpful to you, um, or you know, did it slow things down? Uh, there are lots of entrepreneurs who would say, you know, you got to go 100 hours a week, otherwise yeah. it's never going to work. So, looking back upon that experience and the success you had, to what degree was it related, unrelated to it being an aggressive hobby for a while? Oh, I think it was. I think it was the perfect start for us. I mean, you know, we had some unique circumstances, and the everything was different in 2004, economy-wise and and elsewise, and it it helped with make the early days exceptionally organic, and especially with a media company as you're growing an organic audience, we had audience from the beginning. And so, um, you know, really it was about uh, creating the content and having the audience, um, you know, at that time really just read it because it was text. And uh, and then everything was inbound. Um, You know, I was approached to sell ads on the site. So I figured out how to sell ads on the site, right? And so our revenue was very organic and it it was a great... um, uh, really was a great start. Um, I think a unique aspect of Curved as compared to other uh, startups as well is that, you know, a co-founder and I, Locke Artseal, Locke and I have been friends since high school. So everything about it felt very organic and and natural to be working with um, a good friend on a side project. Um, and then it was also great because in the early days, like it just gained so much traction naturally that you just wanted to put more and more effort and energy into it because it's sort of your passion. Um and we did things at the beginning that you wouldn't do necessarily if you were starting a company outright where you had these like big grandiose visions. You know, I just kept 
quite frankly, just feeding money into it. When it needed a little money, I'd put some money into it. When it, you know, like <laughs> it was very natural as you might do like a project with a friend. Um, and I think that really lent itself to the authenticity of the audience. I think it lent itself to when we were um, fundraising. It was, uh, we had some really great partners who came on with us at that time. And it was, I think, very natural for them to see how we had worked together and the traction we had already gotten both on the audience side and the revenue side at that point. And so how about the acquisition by Vox? Was yeah. that the sort of natural organic thing or how did that happen? Sure. So um, our company had turned profitable by 2010. Uh, so things were going along great. And in 2013, we felt like there were just there were more things that we wanted to do with those three brands in particular, Curb Dieter and Racked. And we went out to raise some capital um, to do that. And along the way, ended up generating a lot of acquisition interest. We were very fortunate. Um, and in, we had some uh, venture term sheets. We had some debt term sheets. And in the summer, where are we now? The summer of um, 2013. 13, we were evaluating about five different um, acquisition opportunities, which is an exceptionally fortunate spot to be in. Uh, and we certainly knew that if we were changing our cap table to take in different types of investors, that at a certain point in time, they would want an exit and a, and a return from it. Um, and we might not be able to generate that um, type of interest at a later date necessarily. But also, um, in particular with Vox, it felt very much like the company that had been created that was Vox Media at that time felt like a very good fit with us. I I think about it very a little Brady Bunch-like, right? So at that time, Vox Media had three brands, um, SB Nation, the sports site, The Verge, Tech and Culture, and Polygon, which was of gaming. And we had our three brands um, that were uh, Curb Dieter and Racked, as I mentioned. And then like bringing those three together, um, we were doing a similar type of monetization. And But SB Nation had a um, in terms of the the way in which we were monetizing the site, but uh, but Vox Media had much stronger technology um, and a really quite amazing platform, um, and that um, and a, an additional capital that we thought would be able to give the legs to the to the three brands we had created. So most acquisitions fail. Uh, you know, when you <laughs> when you went into it, was it with trepidation? Was it with uh, wow, I, I've cashed out. This is great. I'm hitting the beach. How, you know, how did you uh, um, think about um, that that transition and, and uh, entering into a role at Vox? Sure. So I don't, none of us went into it like, oh, we're going to cash out. Like, thank God we're done with this. It was very much, like I said, we felt like there was a lot of life in our brands and we wanted to pour our effort and energy into that. I think a very um, special thing that made the Vox Media acquisition attractive in addition to that is that uh, Lockhart and I in particular um, were invited to join the management team at Vox Media. And so for us, that felt like a natural extension of having started a company, run a company, and then be part of growing and scaling um, uh, yet another digital media company uh, together. And, and that leadership opportunity in addition to the oversight um, with our brands felt very uh, attractive professionally. So lots of entrepreneurs will get those offers yes. and will take them. And <laughs> then six months later, right, will be itching to, to do yeah, another yeah, startup. Yeah. And, and so you're four years into this yeah, about uh, four years in. uh, journey at Vox. And so uh, how do you think about um, those trade-offs or uh, how, how have uh, you decided to uh, stick with Vox in a way that, again, most entrepreneurs, when they sell their companies, are you know out the door as soon as their retention package is done? Yeah. Well, I think you know Vox Media has changed so much since we joined. So in 2013, 
at that time, you know, roughly we had, um, I'd say around 100, 150 employees ballpark. Um, we're 850 today. Um, you know, we have, we were three brands at that time. We added another three brands again today at Vox Media. We're eight brands where um, the company has grown and evolved so much that that has made a lot of our roles um, really exciting and interesting and interesting and to be part of helping to grow and scale a company. You know, we took a company from zero to 50 people and, um, and here when we joined, you know, it was helping to take a company from 150 to 850 people. And, and that is very professionally interesting. And we've, um, had a variety of roles. I don't want to speak for Locke entirely, but, um, certainly for me, when I came in, my role, uh, was to oversee a lot of the business side, the corporate side of the company. Um, so overseeing finance, uh, HR office. Um, and that was, um, it sounds sort of, it sounded a little bit grandiose, but when you came in, it was a very modest sized teams at that time. And it was um, professionally very interesting to think about how to scale the corporate side of a company in a way to support, enable, and partner with the uh, um, more front-facing part of the company. So you've been uh, uh, running HR at Vox since the acquisition and from just for 150 or so employees to the 800 plus employees. Sure. Is, that, is that a fair, fair assessment? It is fair. I would like to acknowledge that HR, when I joined, was one individual. Right. So I can't really say that I was, um, I, I think I think about it a little bit more like I was helping to scale scale and create really a people operations team. Um, the gentleman who is here doing HR at the time in which I joined had taken it from, I think he joined maybe when there were about 40 employees up to, let's say, you know, 100, 150. So he had certainly done a great job of getting it to that stage. Um, and then um, anyway, I think I tried to help expand um, what we were trying to do as a company. And so when, when you uh, took that responsibility, did you have in mind this incredible growth that Vox was uh, going to yeah. uh, go, uh, going to see and uh, think about all those systems and the and processes and so forth or was it uh, much more you know drinking from a fire hose and trying to put you know uh, you know put out the fires of the time yeah no it's not necessarily that I saw that um, you know I was really fortunate in my role in that because I was overseeing finance and doing corporate development work and you know i definitely had a sense of scaling and investment and we were going to grow this company which we certainly have done so i always had that type of vision i think one of the things that because i come from an investment background um, that i hope and try to bring to the table is a notion of uh, sort of right-sizing the investment in parts of the business to create the most value and so you know for us it's i really want you know the parts of our business the the content creation side, the our branded content business, our revenue side of the business, all of that to scale and grow in a way that's very supported by the corporate side. But but you walk the fine line of, um, you know, figuring out where the best place to in, to invest is, not over invest, but not under invest. And and those are some things that I think are really interesting business challenges that I like to be part of. What do you wish you knew four years ago uh, that you know today? Uh, okay, good question. Um, I think, okay, so two things probably. I think I would have um, had maybe a little bit more conviction in my initial thoughts from a personal, like as a manager, as a professional front, you know, coming into a company that I didn't, you know, know other than through the acquisition process, having some business observations. Um, and I think my gut instincts were probably right on some things that I didn't know until a little bit later on. And so I would have leaned into those a little bit, you know, had a little bit more confidence about those earlier on. Um, and 
helped maybe my and my thought is maybe I would have been able to help propel the company a little bit more faster. Um, that's like the first one that comes to mind from the early days, maybe that. And then also on a personal note, trying to proactively think about managing the marathon, right? Like we came from, you know, doing a, a year, nine months of fundraising, you know, not a year, but like, let's say nine months of fundraising and then M&A and then you get to a deal and then you start and we started right away. And it just for the first year was um, like, we never took a break. Um, and I think that personally is exhausting. Um, and so, and I probably, you know, went in trying to like kill it here too. And just figuring out from a personal front how to like best manage my own like stress and figuring out like how to triage and what I was trying to do, um, you know, better to be a like a more, you know, thoughtful and strategic leader of those groups earlier on. Yeah. So vacation. <laughs> vacation or, would have helped a lot. Yeah, so a little, little bit of time on the beach. And, and you had uh, one young kid at the time. Uh, uh, I did. Yes, I had. So yes. For that, I mean, everyone who does, has that, as I do, needs a vacation <laughs> think pretty, back, yeah. pretty much most of the time. Uh, so uh, so culture is in your title as yeah. well. And uh, I've I, my sense is that when you ask people sort of what is the co- a company do mm-hmm. uh, or, what, you know, what's your, you know, what's your mission, perhaps maybe most people sort of have have a similar, you know, uh, response. When you ask people about what is the company culture, mm-hmm. I think often, at least in companies, you'll get you know wildly different answers mm-hmm. from person to person. I'm curious, is that a problem? Uh, is that something that you handle? Do you think everyone at Vox would say the exact same thing and, and the culture is standard across your seven offices and your 850 employees? How, how do you think about the, um, to the degree to which culture should be uniform and, and understood and so forth? Yeah, sure. So um, so on that note, on the title in particular, so about two years ago was when I created the People and Culture team. And um, I had actually just returned from parental leave from, from my second child. And uh, at that point, I had um, we had brought in a dedicated CFO, which I was very um, you know pleased that we had done. And as our company scaled, I think we really needed some strength and um, specialization. And so for me, it was like creating this this people and culture team. And the reason why I had culture in the title was also a sense of tr- I was really trying to modernize a bit of what might have previously or in some companies been seen as back office to be more the partnership with the rest of the company, really enabling strategic uh, organizational development. I don't think because culture in my, is in my title that it's like I'm responsible for the culture. Um, I think about it very much as that I am someone for whom I try to look at the business through the lens of how culture has an impact on success um, in our company. Um, how, um, but I think you know, obviously our CEO, our early founders, our early employees, our you know managers across the board, and and particularly here, really all employees have an impact on culture. Um, you asked a question about whether or not culture should be uniform, and I don't think it necessarily um, should be or is. And I and I wouldn't expect, especially in a company of our size, that's very you know that's geographically quite dispersed. Um, additionally, we have in the editorial side, we have eight brands, and they whether it's a brand or a department or a group, like all those groups naturally have their a little bit of their own culture. Some of the things that are important to me that. Um, kind of interfuse in some of the work that we've done here is we have created values for our company that I think should be, um, we worked on that project with about 70 or 80 folks across the company to hopefully create the sense of values that feel very authentic across 
groups and geographies and departments. And um, and so I think some of those values include being, you know, we're pretty ambitious, um, un unapologetically. We are pr um, fairly passionate about what we do, whatever um, someone is, that that it is that someone does, and care a lot about our the craft. Um, we uh, try to, you know, we try to collaborate well. We try to be very inclusive and respectful and thoughtful of our um, both our colleagues internally, but also our external, our audience, our external partners, et cetera. Um, so anyway, there's a variety of things that we do and you know, all of our values are on our website. But um, uh, I think a key aspect, um, one other key aspect, and this is sort of how we tie in both a media company and technology company, is that we seek to move quickly and iterate and innovate. Um, and that is very helpful when trying to scale and grow to recognize that it's okay to like try something, test it out, did it work, pilot it here and like expand it and um, either um, try to make it better or kill it because that actually was not a good idea and we should do something else. Um, I think those are some cultural things that resonate across the company. Um, we've done a lot of work in the last couple of years to become a more uh diverse and inclusive community. Uh, both, we think about it a lot by, uh, you know, diversity of, um, certainly of gender, of ethnicity, of abilities. Um, we think about it by age, we think about it by geography, by diversity of perspective of thought, et cetera. Um, and I think that is something that really permeates across the company. And is that something that you uh, tried to spearhead or did that sort of, can that bubble up from the different, you know, uh, sites and departments and so forth? Yeah, I would say, you know, what's really great about Box Media is that it is both top down and bottoms up and it is really organic. It is something that Jim Bankoff, our CEO, cares tremendously about and always has. Um, and it is something that our youngest and earliest stage employees care a lot about. And so I think that's the momentum that's propelled it forward. There's certainly several things that I do as a leader of my area um, to try to continue to drive this forward. And I certainly could, you know, to name a bunch, but um, it's not something that is solely just me that's working on it here. Um, but I am, we are particularly proud of, we over the last few years have added um, try to make an environment that feels more gender aware. So there's everything from, um, we have uh, uh, restrooms that are um, either uh, all gender restrooms or acknowledged in uh, on restrooms that we believe that gender is non-binary and that people should use whichever restroom they are feel most comfortable using. In our systems, we acknowledge um, that you may choose your own pronouns in our, um, healthcare policies. We have added gender affirmation surgery, something we cover. We have added um, uh, fertility coverage in a lot of our um, policies. There's a lot of great sort of what I would call like kind of corporate enterprise work that goes to support um, the things that a lot of people believe um, on a daily basis. And we um, have expanded our parent paid parental leave. Like we've done a lot of those types of things to make an environment feel fairly uh, inclusive of people of all backgrounds and and when you went about that, did you have to design everything from scratch or could you look for best practices? And, and if the latter, you know, what were the companies that uh, you said, you know, they've got something good going and, and let's try to model uh, what Vox is doing after them? That's interesting. Um, you know, the only thing I would say, it's, I don't think we look tremendously externally except to acknowledge as we think about um we did look at where paid parental leave was. This was a couple years ago when we made a change to expand that. And, you know, because we were both a media and technology company, we would look at both um, 
uh, kind of peer groups. Uh, and I think that businesses are really at the forefront of making environments a lot more inclusive in this. And a lot of those are technology companies that are making um, big changes and m companies much bigger than ours. Uh, I would say the other thing that we have done that I think uh, is important for a company of our size, but generally has been led by much larger companies is that we report out on our uh, demographic um, uh, statistics, um, I would say, and on our website, we publish quarterly on the change to hold ourselves accountable and to participate more in the conversation around uh, having diverse and inclusive work environments. Um, and then maybe a little bit more, I'd say, in terms of pointing to other companies might be how um, we will bring in speakers sometimes from to you know, talk to our organization about gender awareness or unconscious bias, of which people feel mixed on whether or not that's something you sh conscious bias is conscious or unconscious. But we like to have those conversations and debates, and sometimes we'll look um, externally for um, re recommendations on those speakers. What is most exciting to you about Vox over the next twelve months? What's going to happen that uh, that I'm gets really you fired you didn't say up? Twelve years. <laughs> <laughs> that is too far out. It was for way too far so out. <laughs> by, by that point, the the bots will have taken over. You know, we'll either be at, at the beach or at the graveyard. So, uh, let's say twelve months. Well, I'd say um, you know, just from a company and industry perspective, one thing that I uh, love being a part of and I'm fascinated with is our um, I'd say extension into, and this started a few years back, but continues to drive forward uh, into video. Like I'm, I'm very excited to see our brands on video more and more. Um, we have over a billion content views today across um, all our brands and a substantial portion of those are already our video. And uh, I very much want to see our show, our, our brands like on over the top shows and um uh, just just more video. I think I'm excited about that as an industry and for our brands in particular. Um, on a personal, like what I'm trying to do with our team and the direction that that's going is that um, there is an, there is a, um, I would say one of the things that I like that is going on in sort of the people world and something I think that I bring to it in particular in terms of people operations is um, analytics and in particular data analytics. And so I'm excited about um, we're a company that aims to be data informed, not necessarily data driven. And I like to bring that to the corporate side of the business as well. Um, and so in particular, as we evaluate and look at um, our how we can think about data, um, both in how we compensate our employees, how we, um, you know, do recruiting, how we seek to be more diverse as a population, just being more informed and doing more analytics on that. Um, and that's a practice that um, we are, are bringing more and more. Um, and then I would say on the office side, uh, we did a big expansion this year in New York, and it was wonderful to be part of helping to create uh, a modern work environment and space in which we're considering both the ways in which our brands can come to life. And our office feels very much of a mix of a, um, you know, like cool work environment, but also very residential and feel and thinking about all the different ways in which people work um, that can uh, attract um folks from a range of different backgrounds and also be a fun place to work and create your best work. Um, that's pretty neat to me. Alexis Juneja, thanks so much for spending a little time with me today. Dan, thanks for having me. It was great to chat with you.